Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth, where we're exploring all sorts of business topics. Experts from around the world join me, your host, Diane Helbig, for a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. Take what you need, when you need it. Featured on Inc.com, Forbes, and MSNBC's Your Business, this podcast is recognized as one of the best podcasts for small business, sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, Accelerate Your Business Growth has got it covered. And now on with the show. My guest today is Joshua Friedman. Joshua is a leading emotional intelligence researcher. He's also the CEO of Six Seconds, a global nonprofit teaching people how to use emotional intelligence to improve decision-making, performance, and relationships. His work focuses on cultivating a people-centered culture that strengthens leadership, sales, employee well-being, retention, and innovation. He's helped many organizations, including FedEx, Qatar Airways, the U.S. Navy, Procter & Gamble, Microsoft, Intel, Amazon, and the United Nations. Thanks so much for joining me today, Joshua. It is a pleasure to be with you, and greetings, everyone. I am thrilled to have you here. Uh, Emotional intelligence, or EQ, as we call it, is is one of my favorite subjects. I was just talking about it earlier today. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) (laughs) You're probably talking about it all the time, right? (laughs) So, But will you tell the listeners what it is and why it matters in business, please? Absolutely. So if you own a business or you're working in a business, I'm sure you've experienced that there are some days when you say, gosh, this would be a lot easier if I didn't have employees and I didn't have customers. (laughs) (laughs) If it weren't for the people. Exactly. And, (laughs) you know, the technical part of business is, is complicated and the financial part is complicated. And yet somehow, you know, that's sort of known. It's like, yeah, I mean, there's systems for that. And there are people who can tell us how to do X or file Y or organize Z. But the relational part is where the real challenges lay. And it's also where the real opportunity is. You think about anyone that you admire in business, I will bet a nickel that that they're they have some mojo when it comes to people, to customers, to colleagues, to stakeholders, to investors, to partners. They've got something about how they engage and enroll people in that shared purpose. And that to me is pretty central to the definition of leadership. And how do you, how you do that is in part, in large part with your own emotions and the way that you connect with their emotions. And so emotional intelligence is simply being smarter about feelings. It's instead of either ignoring them or letting them kind of run rampant, it's like really carefully using them in a way in a way that's smart. And literally at a neurobiological level, uh, emotions are, are integrated into our thinking. They're, they're part of every thought that we have, part of every decision that we make. And we can be unconscious of that, which I was for a very long time, or we can say, you know what, there's something here I, I, I want to learn how to use better. 
and we become more and more effective at, at the emotional part of this work. So, so what are some of the, <clears throat> excuse me, things that you find most businesses get wrong when it comes to emotional intelligence? Probably the most dangerous myth is leave emotions out of it so we can make a good decision. Mm. The, the research is quite clear. Um, we don't make decisions without emotions. So you can, you can make a list, you can hire, you know, some big consulting firm and they can come in and they can give you lots of analysis and they can say to you, you know what, you should do X, Y, and Z. Do you believe them or not? Mm. That's emotional. They say, well, we've got two options. We've analyzed it. Here's, you know, the 10 reasons for this one, the 10 reasons for that one. How do you decide which of those reasons are actually important? That's emotion. Um, when people literally leave emotions out of it, and there's certain diseases or brain injuries that cause people to not have emotions. It's fascinating. There's quite a lot of work that's been done around this. One, there was a book by uh, a neuroscientist named Joe Ledoux. And he actually studied people who had hydroencephalitis, which basically part of their brain turns to water. Yeah. And he had this, like this lawyer that he worked with who could cite case law and remember all of these details. Guy was really brilliant. Um, and then Joe would say to him, well, you know, what do you want to have for lunch? He'd say, I don't know how to decide that question. Wow. Emotion is part of our regulatory system. And Antonio Damasio, another neuroscientist I love, he says, emotions are enmeshed in the neural networks of reason. Like literally, when you look at the brain and how the brain functions, you have these synapses and what's flowing between the synapses that, that we call thought, it's mixed with what we call emotion. And, and every single decision that we make, every single action we take, it's being influenced by emotions. And if you what you say, you know, well, well, we got to be rational and leave emotions out. That's really irrational. <laughs> if you want to be rational, confront the reality that human beings' emotions are a primary driver of how we work. And, you know, anybody in sales knows this. Uh, everybody who deals with customers, everybody who deals with employees knows this. You know, emotions yeah. are there. And so rather than this sort of fictional, like, let's leave it out. No, let's actually learn to deal with this stuff and and get good at it. Well, maybe we decide to leave it out because we don't know how to deal with it, and it feels muddy. Yeah, I mean, Diane, I was really, I was afraid of emotions. I was really uncomfortable with emotions. I was very entrepreneurial um, my whole life, and I, I actually started three businesses before I was twenty, all of which failed rather dismally. I, I think in large part because I was absolutely terrible as a leader of people. And I remember this one time um, I was a licensed contractor when I was 17 and I had five employees and was driving away from a job site. And you know how contracting is. We were, of course, over budget and behind schedule. <laughs> and I was very agitated. And uh, one of my employees says, you know, maybe we should talk about how we're working together. It doesn't seem to be going that well. And I smacked my hand on the dashboard and said, I don't want to talk about it. I want you people to get the work done. 
didn't go that well. <laughs> you think? <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I have learned a couple of things since then. <laughs> oh, God, that's funny. I think a lot of people listening can uh, relate to that. Sure. I'll tell you one of the biggest lessons for me around this yeah. was because I I saw emotions as sort of random and chaotic and unpredictable and you know I just didn't understand them. When I would be in a, in a room, when I'd be in a meeting and I would see somebody with some emotion on their face, I would try like heck to avoid that. Hmm. And I thought, you know, well, out of sure don't want to open that Pandora's box. Yeah. And here's the stunning thing for me. What I found is that most of the time, just acknowledging it is all I actually need to do. Oh. Just saying, hey, it seems like there's some big feelings about this topic. What you know, what what's up for people? And people share a little bit, and I go, All right, thanks for that perspective. Yeah. Anything else? Nope. Okay, let's go on. I mean, it's amazing. It's like, whoa, are you kidding me? All those years I was like <laughs> fighting. To, like, it's like the kid in the dike, you know, the, the story of the kid in the dike. And I was like blocking this pole and blocking this hole and blocking this hole. And like, all I had to do was say, hey, what's up, folks? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Go that, back. Right? Because people just want to be heard. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And emotions get louder if you yeah. don't hear them. That's a great point. That's right. Right. They're going to come out one way or another. And do you right. want them out in the room or do you want them out in the parking lot? <laughs> they are coming out. Good question. Right. <laughs> and how do you want them to come out? Right. It's the other yeah. part of that. Do you find... So, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to say the other thing I've, as I've learned that emotions are actually valuable data. Like if I want to understand where I'm at with people and where they are with customers, with projects, with, with the organization, it's like, oh, look, there's all this free data in the room. That's kind of amazing, right? It's like, it's right there for us to, to understand if we, if we value it and tune into it. Right. Right. That's interesting. It's that awareness piece. Yeah. Right? And I think we've all experienced times when it's been like, I can't tell if this is like real uh -huh. or, you know, like, should I be upset about this or not? Should I be worried about this or not? You know, and there's, um, I think there's this piece where we've kind of been taught to be evaluative. And so we get real judgmental about our own and others' feelings, you know, like, well, they're just, that's not a rational feeling to have. Yeah. I'm like, okay, dude, well, it's there. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't really matter whether it's rational or not. <laughs> kind of by definition, right? It's not. It's like, it's there. It's real. Yeah. And if we ignore it, we are not doing anyone any favors. That doesn't yeah. mean we obey our feelings blindly. You know, if we're worried about something and we're scared about something, we're stressed about something, it doesn't mean we're like, okay, that's it. I'm throwing in a towel. Yeah. Even though sometimes, you know, we might want to. It means we're going to tune in and get that as one piece of data. And there's lots of other data, but 
Right. And by the way, we usually have multiple feelings. So it's not even just one piece. It's like, okay, I'm worried about this, but I'm also excited about this. Like there's yeah. two pieces of data. Yeah. Right. Oy. So, um, gosh, so many questions. Okay. Uh, what I'm curious about is generational EQ differences. Mm. Do you see, is that a thing? Do you see different generations reacting? So what's that all about? So first of all, I don't know if it's actually generational. Um, ah. I don't have enough. I don't have enough data because what I know is people in the, what we call Gen Z people who are in, you know, millennials, Gen X, uh, boomers, we see really significant differences, but it's hard to know. It's, it's just like always when you're in your twenties that um, X, Y, and Z happens. Right. So, you know, it may be like 200 years from now, um, one of my successors will say, Josh was wrong. It wasn't generational. It was just, it's just part of the age span. But hmm. what it can tell you is we, we published the world's largest study on emotional intelligence. And we've seen over and over across 140 countries randomized sample, we've seen pretty significant differences. And um, a lot of those differences were exacerbated by the pandemic and some pretty intense stuff going on for younger people. Basically, from an emotional perspective, the younger you are in the last three years, the more emotionally challenging it's been. Wow. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. That's interesting. Is that because they were still developing those social and emotional skills, and then all of a sudden they were um, isolated? Mm. I suspect that's a big part of it. Yeah. Um. I mean, I have a, a 24 and 22-year-old, and so I could kind of see hmm quite firsthand um how their lives became dramatic you know, my, my life was really disrupted by the yeah. pandemic and being you know running a small organization and i don't know medium organization i'm not sure uh i never imagined something like that and i've never faced something as difficult as a leader um okay. but in some basic way like i still did the same job you know i i did I, we managed by the grace of whatever uh, whatever powers we can we can have grace from i uh we managed to not lose any employees um wow. we we lost 40 percent of our revenue in 2020 and um we cut 38 percent of our expenses and uh, squeezed by, um, and it's continued to be a real roller coaster. But you know, in some basic way, like the same teams are working, doing sort of the same job in some new ways. But for my um, 
my kids, their lives were dramatically changed by the pandemic and they, you know, real shifts. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, mine too. I have a 24 and 27. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's the same sort of thing. So it's interesting. It leads me to another question about performance. Like how do you increase performance even when times are uncertain? Because I feel like people's focus and energy ends up being on the uncertainty and the Mm -hmm. fears and all of that, and not necessarily on doing their best work. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I I think a lot of us have been kind of waiting for the new normal. Yeah. I agree. I think it might have, I think it might have arrived. Yeah. And I think the new normal is here and it's just chaos. That's not good. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't know. It's It's got pros and cons, but we, I think we're going to be in this, like, do you remember early in, 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 in the pandemic, we kept hearing all these people saying, well, we're in unprecedented times. Yes. Due to these unprecedented, it's like, well, you know what? I think we might just stay in unprecedented times for a while. And so that leads us to you know, look, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go hide yeah. uh, for the next decade. Or do we want to, you know, do we want to stay in the stay in the game? And if we're gonna stay in the game in a time of ongoing unprecedentedness, uh, ongoing chaos, ongoing complexity, probably we're gonna need some new skills in the way we engage and the way we lead. And to be able to have that kind of both and, yes, it's chaotic. Yes, it's uncertain. And we know what we're doing here. I think we're going to need to have a lot more agility in our leadership and in our systems. Mm-hmm. And the ability to change rapidly and learn, learn quickly, and try things out and this kind of rapid prototyping all right, let's try it, see what happens, get data, adapt, 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 adapt. And that that can be really exhausting. It can be emotionally exhausting. Yeah. And so that is going to demand of us a greater ability to connect with our our people. Uh, all around, you know, all different stakeholders, our own children. I don't I don't know that I want to call my children stakeholders, but <laughs> people people in our circles, you know, whether they're employees, customers, colleagues, investors, clients, partners, uh, family members, people in the community, people that were walking down the street. I think there's a level of volatility right now. I mean, I know from the data, there's a level of volatility right now that is another one of those unprecedented times. And that can lead us to say, you know, what our brains do in all of that volatility is our brains treat discomfort as danger. Yeah. And move us into fight, flight, and freeze. And we're not going to lead in effectively in fight, fight, flight, and freeze. And so we're going to have to build up our wherewithal. We're going to have to strengthen ourselves and our systems and our relationships. We're going to have to have stronger structures, just like in a big storm, you know, uh, we're facing more and more and more once in a hundred year weather events. Yeah, right. And where I live, we just had big flooding because levees broke. 
you know, and levees that were designed a hundred years ago and, you know, they could take 10 once in a hundred year storms and well, we've had more than 10. Right. So that same metaphor applies to our businesses and it's, we could look at it as like, this, this is awful. Uh, or we could look at it and say, you know what, we can figure this out. We can strengthen our systems. Um, it's not about, you know, sometimes people like hardening your IT security. We've all had to deal with IT security in ways we didn't anticipate a decade ago. We need to, I don't know, the harden is the right metaphor. We have to strengthen our relational systems, our relational security. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. That feels, um, I get it. I agree with you. I, I'm, I guess my question would be, and what would be the first step of that? I mean, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking we have to learn to be a lot more flexible and a lot mm-hmm. less binary. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. So how does someone who that really isn't their way of motoring, mm-hmm. you know, how do they do that? I think the first step is is to decide it's important. Mm. Um, when I work with big organizations or small organizations. I was just working with this awesome bank, um, about 300 employees, and uh, spent a couple days with their senior leadership team trying to clarify the fact that they were in a different situation that they were in a couple years ago, and that in a different situation, they need to do things differently. Getting, getting real clear that, yeah, our relationships and the way we engage and the way we interact, it's not optional. It's part of our strategy. It's part of our competitive advantage. It's part of our brand. And so I think in the same way, if you are saying, oh, crud, Josh and Diane, give me a break. I I just can't deal with one more thing. Like this just, you know, I got to deal with, I got to deal with paying the bills today. Okay, I hear you. And if you stay in the same state you're in, are you going to get the results you want? And as you look at strategically, you say, look, here's how we create value in this business. And, and whatever that is, like there are a lot of different ways, you know, maybe you have a brand that's all about innovation. Maybe you have a brand that's all about consistency. Maybe you have a brand that's all about uh, customization and, and treating each person in each situation as new, or maybe you have a brand that's like, Hey, you know, we, we, we do the same thing every day and it, and it works. Whatever your brand, whatever your strategy for value creation is, you need to look at this question of what is the business case for building a stronger culture, building stronger leadership, building stronger you, 
through the lens of that value creation. And it's going to be different depending on your business. Um, in, in the business I run, it's actually a nonprofit, but it's a it's a venture nonprofit. So we're basically entirely funded through products and services. We are really clear that in order to achieve our mission, we need people to feel that this is their organization. Mm-hmm. So we now have people in 150 countries and you say, you know, oh, tell me about six seconds. They'll say, well, this is my organization where we do blah, blah, blah. And that that doesn't happen by itself. <laughs> it takes a lot of design and intentionality of how can people feel that that this is theirs. And we we've done that because that's central to our strategy. And so basically we're trying to connect the dots here between what is the relational experience, what is the business case for you to do this work and and your value your strategy for value creation. Once you see, yes, this is central. It is central that my people and all those different groups of people groups that, that we're talking about earlier, that, that my people and I have a stronger relational security, that we have stronger connectedness, that I'm more agile. Once you decide that that is not optional, that it is not like, oh, if I have time, then I will do it. Um, once it's an imperative, I mean, entrepreneurs are great at making things happen. That's part of what it means to be an entrepreneur. You're going to figure this out and we can help you. There's a zillion tools and lots of resources and there are amazing coaches and consultants that can help you and tons of podcasts like this one that can just, that can help fuel you in in doing this. But the first thing is for you to say, it's an imperative. It's not uh, a nice to have. It's a need to have. I I would think that having everyone feel ownership would be an imperative for every organization. It just feels like it makes it so much better and easier for everyone in the organization. Mm. Kathleen Hogan, the chief people officer from Microsoft, recently wrote an article, um, We're in a Human Energy Crisis. Huh. And um, sneak preview of, so that the research I told you about, it's called State of the Heart. And the State of the Heart Report, we're releasing our first findings on July 11th. And then we actually, actually, I lied. We we already released our very first findings in our new business case. We have some findings and more on July 11th and then more in August. And then the report will come out in late September. And one of the things that we're going to be uh, looking at in this report is the human energy crisis and the emotional intelligence drivers of human energy. Um there's some really interesting issues around that. And in our model, we look at um, being more self-aware, being more uh, intentional in the moment and being more purposeful. There's part of that intentional in the moment, which gives us energy. And there's part of that more purposeful that gives us energy. Mm-hmm. And those aspects that we call it drive, that's, that's part of emotional intelligence globally that has slipped quite a lot. Over what period of time do you think? Two years. Two years. So. It went down a good bit in, um, I mean, from 19 to 20. So we published the last report in 21 and we saw just massive effects of the pandemic on emotional intelligence. Again, the younger you are, the worse it was. Um, We'll give you a link to to this uh, to share. People can download the report. It's free. Um, We saw huge losses in in emotional intelligence overall but 
in particular, kind of emotional regulation, um, mm. things like imagination, the ability to tolerate risks, to collaborate. And I mean, just one stunning finding. When you think about, okay, remember, this is a global study, random sampling from all over the world. And to see within two years, uh, changes that are like 10, 15% changes. Wow. It's radical. So for Gen Z in our last report, for that uh, sense of collaboration, it dropped 14%. Really? But for Gen X, it only dropped 2%. Huh. Really? Sense of community, sense of community for Gen Z dropped 15%. But boomers, it dropped zero. You know, my mom, wow. my mom and her husband are hanging out in their apartment and doing yeah. their thing, and <laughs> didn't change a lot from twenty nineteen to right. twenty twenty, right? But, uh, but for our kids, they got slammed. Yeah. So now you have people coming to the workforce, and they feel disconnected, and we yeah. see loneliness at an all time high in the world. That this is fascinating. So it gets me, it gets me excited to, I'll I mean, bet. I just feel it's so profound, like what's going on and being able to see this and think about our own people yeah. and like, Hey, if you have any younger people and I, I've been working really hard in succession planning to grow our organization, you know, grow people under 40 in our organization. And so now I, I have these, a lot of younger people who work for us and, um, I look at this data and I think about them and think, okay, that's, I've got to really make some changes in the way that we are structuring our work, given this reality that statistically likely they feel a lot more isolated than they did right. a few years ago. So one of the things that I like about us having this conversation is you know, you can't change what you don't acknowledge. And so mm -hmm. it's so easy for people to say, oh, those millennials, oh, those Gen Z, oh, those whatever. But if you then look at, it's a cause and effect, mm -hmm. then it's easier, I think, personally, that it's easier to to work on, okay, how do we right the ship? You know, mm -hmm. how, do, how do we correct this trend? Because it's not a good mm -hmm. one. But we have to know so, where it comes uh, from. One of my books is called Inside Change, and I'll save you the 25 bucks and, and tell you, <laughs> you know, the title is really the point. It, if you're a business owner and you're saying, yeah, I want, I want my employees to change what they're doing, no problem. Yeah. It, it's absolutely, you can do that. The answer is you change. Right. All change starts on the inside. Yeah. So if you... If you want to, if you want people to show up differently with their, your customers, show up differently with them. We just published an amazing case study about this a pharma company in Italy. We did an emotional intelligence program for um, sales managers. We didn't do any training for the salespeople. We just trained the sales managers, and then we looked at the quality of the relationships between sales. They're, they're not. They don't call them salespeople, they're, they're reps, but they're salespeople mm -hmm. in function um, between salespeople and the pharmacists. And just improving the skills of the sales managers <laughs> led to the uh, salespeople having better relationships with their customers. Wow. 
I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. It's usually is uh, from the top down. Yep. Stuff flows downhill. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's absolutely. And I know when I go into companies and, you know, we have these conversations and I say, if you aren't really setting the culture, someone Mm -hmm. else is. It's going to be set. And it's going to yep. be based on how people are feeling yep. about their environment. So, I'm in a little hotel right now in New Orleans, a um, little boutique hotel. And I was just watching the way staff were interacting with each other. Yeah. And it's like, wow, there is some really good leadership going on here. Oh, nice. Because you can just see it. And like, um, a couple of one of the staff members had their kids here at lunch and they were, you know, you could just see the other staff members interacting and like, wow, okay, there's something going on here where people feel safe and connected. That does not happen by itself, especially right. today. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and this is, I think, important. It's like stress is at an all-time high, loneliness is at all-time high. So your employees on average and your customers and your, you know, all those other people are walking in more stressed and more disconnected as a baseline. Right. And so are you. Right. So <laughs> like, okay, now uh, you want people to like really feel connected with your business. It's going to take some extra work. Yeah. But the great thing is it's doable. It's not actually expensive. It's not even that hard to do. It it, it does take some learning. Like, sure. but you know, I mean, I've worked with some companies and they're like, yeah, well, we're trying to decide whether we can afford to spend, you know, X many tens of thousands of dollars on this system or that system. Like, this is not gonna cost you like, yeah. a lot of money. Right. This is about you growing yourself, helping your people grow, strengthening the way you interact, doing some little tweaks about listening more deeply, making a little more space, slowing some things down, having a little bit more sharing. Um, I'll just tell you one concrete thing uh, that I did. Right. Um, we're a virtual organization. We have been long before the pandemic. So we was relatively easy for us to adapt. We have um, several offices around the world uh, where nobody was going into the office during the pandemic, but we all are used to working virtually. So that, that was okay. But I was noticing just an increased turbulence and disconnection that my team, um, who I've I've not met everyone in my organization in person um, since 2004. We've never all been in a room together. Wow. But I was noticing just in my own team, a level of disconnection and distress and in myself. And so we just started having um, water cooler time on Zoom. We have a checkout meeting every Friday, and we take about 15 minutes for kind of work stuff, tasks, and then we take about half an hour for just socializing and asking each other questions. What are you doing this weekend? And and recognizing that is work. That is not like, oh, if we finish with work, then we should do that stuff. Yeah really deliberately saying, you know, humans are social beings, right. feeling a sense of connection. It is crucial, crucial to my work. I'm going to prioritize that. Yeah. And Absolutely. so, you know, 
you could, it could feel really expensive to you because you're like, oh man, that's a lot of staff time. You know, you got 10 people in this meeting and ooh, that adds up. But <laughs> if you want them to be productive and you want to keep them and you want them <laughs> to do right. good work and share with each other, then uh, it's, it's, it's not an optional thing. Well, the payoff is so much higher than the cost. Yes. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. And in this, um, in our new business case for emotional intelligence, we're looking at uh, some of the data on engagement and, and, and the Gallup data on engagement. I, I'm sure you've yeah. heard this. It's the lowest yeah. it's been in 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, a little bit more engagement translates to dramatically higher profitability it absolutely does it absolutely does and i i just feel like we are in a period of time where leaders need to spend time really learning about what their people need and want out mm -hmm. of their experience mm -hmm. and and formulating i i call them I, I borrowed this from like the school system, IEPs, individual mm -hmm. employee plans, mm -hmm. um, because that's what they're looking for. That's what they want. And mm -hmm. it's better for the organization. I mean, there's some things you can't do, but I think employees understand that if you're open yeah. to having the conversation with them and yeah. coming to some collaboration and agreement about how you're all going to be able to get the most out of it. I think the pandemic was significant in that, that people just said, whoa, yeah. wait a minute. Yep. So, and here's the, here's the business case in a nutshell. Um, about 75% of employee engagement is predicted by emotional intelligence scores. Um, engaged employees uh, connect better with customers. Uh, one of the studies we cite is about 8% increase in uh, customer relationship. And a 5% increase in customer relationship results in a 25% increase in profit. Wow. Yeah. So, hey, anybody listening want a 25% increase in profit <laughs> for the rest of the year? I sure do. Yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, okay, let's get a 25% increase in profit. Grow your emotional intelligence. Exactly. Exactly. Wow, Joshua, this is so great. I, I love this conversation. I'm so grateful that you uh, spent this time with us. Will you tell the listeners, you know, how they can find you, how they can find the report, all that great stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm uh, on LinkedIn a lot and uh, really glad to connect with people. Um, Six Seconds, the organization I run, is also on all the usual social media channels and um and and more that we don't tend to be aware of in North America. So, you know, if you're on WeChat, we're there too. Uh, but that's a great way to connect with us. Um, if you go to sixseconds.org, you will find lots of case studies, uh, business cases, and then our new business cases there on sixseconds.org. And we'll pop the link um, uh, over to you, Diane, so you can right. share it um, for the specifically for the business case and that state of the heart report. But um really glad to connect with people and, and connect to with we have this incredible network of coaches and consultants all over the world who uh specialize in working you know with you all and um 
you know, so if you want to grow capacity and you're really like, wow, I love this emotional intelligence stuff. I want to get, I want to become a certified emotional intelligence <laughs> practitioner or coach. Six seconds will help you do that. And if you want to grow this in terms of your leadership and your business and the way you do your selling and your hiring and your developing of people, we can help you. Nice. Really great. Oh my gosh. Well, once again, thank you so much. And listeners, thank you. You are who we're doing this for. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcast.com. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzoir, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you wanna learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in life. We've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.